the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Revelation. You are persevering. I commend you for that. I see your works. I see your deeds. Especially you call out false teachers. And we'll talk about the Nicolaitans in a moment. But he says, but you have left your first love. You have forsaken him. You've walked away from him. You've abandoned him. Jesus is taking this very personally. He's dictating this. He says, you've left me. You've left me. His heart is breaking for them. Because they have left him. If you look at the church today, whether that's your local church, the American church, or even the global church, what would you say is our first love? If it's not Jesus, what's taken his place? A list of rules and regulations? Political power or the approval of men? Whatever it may be, it breaks God's heart. He doesn't want to punish us or hold us in judgment. He wants us to be ready for Him. In today's message, Pastor Gary will encourage us to return to our first love. Don't let earthly treasures distract you. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Revelation chapter 2 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Now we're going to highlight this particular area on the map where all seven churches were located. And here they are. We're going to start with, in chapter 2, the letter to the church in Ephesus. And then as the Lord dictates these letters to these seven churches, it actually goes in a circular clockwise direction. We're going to go from Ephesus, and then we're going to read the letter to the church of Smyrna, and then we're going to go up to Pergamos, over to Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and the last letter, the seventh letter, is the letter to the church in Laodicea. But all of these seven churches were literal churches that existed in the first century. So that's important to understand. Uh, This is not, again, uh, entirely symbolic. This is very literal. As, as we read these letters, these were dictated to seven particular churches located in what is today modern Turkey, the western side of Turkey uh, on the Aegean Sea. Now, in addition to them being literal, these letters are also spiritual in relevance, in that each church addresses spiritual issues relevant to believers today. So when the Lord commends them for some things and rebukes them for some things, these, these are very applicable for us today, too, because the spiritual relevance is, what is Jesus saying 
to the church even today, and we need to wake up and take notice of the things that he commends and the things that he rebukes because the spiritual application is just as true for us today. So they're literal churches that existed in the first century. They have spiritual relevance. And then it's also important to recognize the historical significance because what, we, what we're going to see as we go through these seven letters is that each church represents a different period in church history up to and including even the condition of the church today. Now, I, I don't want to, you know, give you, again, I, I, I recognize that in the study of the book of Revelation, I'm, I'm firing things at you like you're drinking out of a fire hose instead of a garden hose. I, I understand. But there's, there's no other way to do this. So I'm sorry. Just drink as best as you can and, uh, and get the little booklet. All right. <laughs> when we look at these seven letters, I want you to notice with you, there are seven similarities of all the seven letters. And here they are. All begin with a special title for Jesus, the author of each. He dictates each letter, and he refers to himself by a unique title in each of the seven letters. All are addressed to the angel or pastor of each church. All begin with Jesus knowing their works. He's going to talk about what they're doing in practical terms. And all contain either a commendation, a complaint, or both. And, And we'll point it out as we go through. Three more things. All close with an allusion to Jesus' second coming. There's something in the letter that refers to his second coming. All close with a special promise or reward to the overcomers, to to the believers who respond to his rebuke, who repent, who get right with him. There's a special promise in store. And all close with the same challenge. He who has an ear, let him hear. Every single letter, Jesus ends that way. If you have an ear, if you hear what I'm saying... Take notice is what he says. Listen to what I'm saying and and hear just even more than the words. Hear the meaning behind what I'm saying here. Now, when we look at these seven churches on a timeline of church history, we're going to be going through it like this. You don't have to worry about all this tonight, but I just want to kind of, again, set the tone and set the stage. Each church, again, literal churches, spiritual significance, and historical relevance— Each church is actually pointing to a time period on the timeline of church history. So the first letter we're going to read here in chapter 2 is the letter to the church at Ephesus. Ephesus represents the time period of the church from 33 AD to 100 AD. 33 AD is basically when Pentecost happened in Acts chapter 2. And the church was birthed. After Jesus rose from the dead, ascended back into heaven, Pentecost came, Holy Spirit fell, and then the church was basically birthed. That's 33 AD. Well, 100 AD is roughly the time when John the Apostle died. So that was the end of the apostolic age. That's what Ephesus represents. And when we go through each one, I'll explain what each one means. But then after Ephesus comes Smyrna, 100 to 312 AD. These dates have different significance, and you'll see it as we get to it. Pergamos was 312 AD to 606 AD, followed by Thyatira, 606 to 1517 Sardis, 1517 to 1750 AD. And these last two letters, the letter to the church at Philadelphia and Laodicea, are relevant to time today. Because significant things happened. In 1750, roughly, actually a little bit earlier, 1730s, 1740s, but roughly 1750, there was the Great Awakening that happened in the United States of America and in Britain and in different places around the world. Uh, but primarily in America. 
And when the Great Awakening happened, the evangelical church was born. Now, the Protestant church, you recognize 1517, those of you who have some knowledge of church history, you recognize that the Protestant church broke away from the Catholic church in 1517 when Martin Luther, uh, you know, uh, uh, hammered his thesis on uh, the, the Wittenberg door, the church in Wittenberg, and so declaring his departure from Roman Catholicism. The Protestant church was born in 1517, but the evangelical church The stream of evangelical Christianity was born around the time of the Great Awakening, 1750. But something else happened at the turn of the 20th century. In in around 1900, liberal theology began to creep in, and two paths became divergent in, in the Protestant church. One was evangelical Christianity, and one was liberal theology. It still exists today. And what we're going to see happening is when you, when you read the context of the commendation and the rebuke, the church at Philadelphia gets no rebuke from Jesus. The church of Philadelphia will be raptured, okay? The church of Laodicea still exists today too. So you have both of these churches existing today. You have the evangelical church. You have the liberal theological church and seminaries that go with these. And there are two different streams. The evangelical church is going to be raptured. The church that is full of liberal ideology and theology that make real no claim to, to knowing Jesus in a personal way, it's, it's just all this liberal theology that, that discounts the claim of Christ, okay? They're going to go through the tribulation. There are some people who actually think that they're saved and they're not. That's the church of Laodicea. So when we get to that, eventually we'll, we'll, you know, we'll explain all that in more detail, but I wanted to give you the background so that you understood uh, where we're going as we take a look at this first letter to the church uh, in Ephesus. So if you have your Bibles open there to chapter 2, we're going to take a look here at the church of Ephesus, and, um, and actually before I read it, you'll notice verses 1 through verse uh, 7 is this first letter to the church at Ephesus. And, and I'm going to go ahead and, and just show you the synopsis up front, and then we'll come through and, and dig out these verses. So here's the synopsis of the church, of the letter to the church at Ephesus. Uh, Jesus' title, you'll notice here, is him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, uh, which is important to recognize that Jesus holds the pastors in his right hand. Well, I had my left hand, his right hand. Who, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. So Jesus is always in our midst. He's always walking among us. Where two or more are gathered, there I am in your midst, is what Jesus said. The commendation that he gives this church is that they're hardworking, persevering, and discerning of false doctrine. And in particular, he's going to call out a group of people called the Nicolaitans. The complaint that he has against this church is that they've left their first love. And the reward that he says to them, if they persevere, is that they will eat from the tree of life in the paradise of God. So let's take a look at this letter here, chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel, or the pastor, of the church of Ephesus, write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, 
and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the right works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. All right, so I'm going to break down the letter with you, but before I do, let me give you a little background on Ephesus itself, since this letter is addressed here to the church in Ephesus. Again, Ephesus, as you saw on the map, is located on the eastern shoreline of the Aegean Sea. It, uh, it had an estimated population in the first century of 300 to 500,000 people. This was one of the most populated cities uh, in the Roman Empire. Today, just a small Turkish village exists there called Ayasaluk. It was a very prosperous city in the first century because it was located around a major trade route. People would uh, come there and, um, and dock and um, exchange their goods in the first and second century in particular. But it was also known as a place of real immorality because located in Ephesus was and still stands the, the remains, the Temple of Diana. She was also known as Artemis. It was an enormous structure. The Temple of Diana was noted as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was 425 feet long, 220 feet wide, with 127 pillars around it, each 60 feet high. Diana was the goddess of sex and fertility. So at any one point, there were a thousand temple prostitutes employed in the service of the Temple of Diana. This is why when Paul went there on one of his missionary journeys, and it's recorded in details in Acts chapters 19 and 20, he spent more time in Ephesus than any other city, three years, because it was the Las Vegas of the ancient Roman Empire. I mean, it was a place where you could find anything and do anything you wanted. And so Paul invested three years of his time in the city of Ephesus, ministering the gospel. And there was great revival there. When you read Acts 19 and 20 and see what happened in Ephesus as a result of Paul's preaching, I mean, you know, they, they wanted to kill Paul because all of a sudden their livelihoods, people who were making these little idols of, of dirty Diana um, were suddenly out of business because a bunch of people were getting saved and they didn't want to buy the idols to, to Diana anymore. And it even tells us, in, when you read Acts 19 and 20, one of the great things that happened was people even who were engaged in sorcery and witchcraft, they brought their books that were all about sorcery and stuff, and, and they burned them. And when you look at the value that it gives it in the book of Acts compared to what the dollar would be today, it's over $7 million worth of sorcery books that they burned when they started to get their hearts right with the Lord. So miracles were happening in Ephesus. Great things were happening. But it's about 30 years later now. And it's sad to think that in 30 years, that's not a very long time, they would leave their first love in just 30 years. Now notice, the text does not say they lost 
their first love. It says very specifically there in verse 4, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Who's, who's the first love? Jesus. Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. But friends, we need to understand, and this might challenge some of your theology, you can leave him. It is possible to leave him. He calls it out right here. He says, you have left your first love. You've walked away from me. Again, Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. He's committed to the relationship, but are you? He calls out the church of Ephesus. He says, you know, you guys are hardworking. You are persevering. I commend you for that. I see your works. I see your deeds, especially you call out false teachers. And we'll talk about the Nicolaitans in a moment. But he says, but you have left your first love. You have forsaken him. You've walked away from him. You've abandoned him. Jesus is taking this very personally. He's dictating this. He says, you've left me. You've left me. His heart is breaking for them because they have left him. Now, look, again, mankind has been given free will. From the very moment that God created Adam and Eve and he placed them in the garden and he said, you are free to eat from any of the fruit of the trees within the garden except from one tree the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. What was he giving mankind right from day one? Free will. You're free to eat from all of these trees, just the one. And mankind went for the one. Why do we do that? Went for the one. But instinctive in a relationship with the Lord has to be free will. Otherwise, it wouldn't really be a relationship based on love. It would be maybe a legal or a mandated or a robotic relationship, but it wouldn't be one based on love. God wants a relationship based on love. He certainly has demonstrated it, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And he wants a reciprocal relationship where we respond to his initiation of love. He's the initiator. We're the responders. That we respond to the way he initiates love toward us in a reciprocal way, that we love him in in response. He's not going to force it. He's not going to force that from us. And so the same free will we exercise in responding to his love can be the same free will we exercise in denying him as Lord and Savior, walking away, leaving him. And so again, some of your theologies might be having a hard time swallowing what I'm saying here, but you you have to make room for what he says here. These are very specific words. We didn't lose our salvation here, okay? It, it's, it's, not that, it's not that frivolous. You know, our salvation is not something you lose like you lose your keys around the house, okay? And I grew up in a tradition that basically put a lot of heavy guilt on people. Like, if you had a bad thought, you got to get saved again. Like, praise God, I've been delivered from that. Because, it, it, you know, if you lost your salvation for every bad thought or every bad thing you said, I mean, who, who among us would be able to ever know that we're truly, genuinely saved, so it's, it's not this simplicity of, oh, you've just, you must have lost your salvation again. But there can be a deliberate, willful, intentional denying of the faith and leaving Christ and rejecting him and no longer believing that he's Lord and Savior. And though it breaks his heart, no one is going to be dragged to heaven kicking and screaming. It's going to be because you will 
to respond to the love of the Lord. Now, he points out here among the commendable things is the way that they're hardworking, persevering, and they discern false doctrine here. And he mentions the Nicolaitans. Now, Nicolaitans, from two Greek words, nikeo, meaning to conquer, the noun form is Nike, meaning victory, nikeo, and uh, leos, leos meaning laity. So nikeo, leos, meaning to conquer the laity. One of the things that Jesus has trouble with is a hierarchical thing in the church, and we'll talk about this because on the timeline of church history, we're going to talk about the Roman Catholic Church. When there is this hierarchical priestly system where man stands between God and man, and, and where you can only get to the Father if you go through a human being, that is a form of nikaioleos. That is a form of conquering the laity. And Jesus hates the practice of the Nicolaitans. That's what he says right here. And so one of the things that he commands of the church at Ephesus is that they wouldn't put up with that kind of thing. There's no barrier between God and man. Jesus is the only mediator between God and man. No human being is the mediator between God and man. We, 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 we might be people who intercede in prayer for people. Uh, we, we might help people, you know, to come to an understanding of faith and kind of take the hand of God and take the hand of somebody and, you know, help them to understand how they can have a relationship with Jesus but no human being is to be a barrier between man and God. Jesus is the only mediator between God and man. And so Jesus says, I, I hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, and he commends the church at Ephesus that they were wise about it as well. And he gives the opportunity to repent here. You know, it, it's not doom or gloom. He, he says, even though you have left your first love, that's his complaint against them. He says in verse 5, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent. So remember, like, you know, grab hold again of, of what you remember when you first got saved. Like, it, you know, it's not too late. You can come back again. Repent. Remember. Repent. And he says in verse 7, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to him who overcomes... I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now, interesting, we haven't heard about the tree of life since Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 was the tree which they were free to eat from. But once Adam and Eve had eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God banished them from the garden and the idea was, lest after that they should eat of the tree of life and then be forever stuck in this unredeemable state. And so God cast them out before they were to eat of the tree of life, so they had a chance to be redeemed instead of permanently sealed in that place of being unredeemable. But the tree of life appears again. And it actually is found in the last chapter of the book of Revelation. We'll get to it when we get there eventually, in Revelation chapter 22. And it talks about those who have overcome will eat of the tree of life and that the leaves will even bring healing to the nations. And so the tree of life we see again in Revelation 22 from Genesis chapter 2. And Jesus says here to them who overcome, you will eat one day 
of that tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So God has uprooted that tree and it is kept preserved until we see it again appearing in Revelation chapter 22. That's all we have for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to this edition in Revelation again, or if you'd like to explore other messages from Pastor Gary through his Bible teachings, just visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Or you can download our mobile app to stay connected to the truth of God's Word everywhere you go. It's a great way to have a quiet time anytime. You'll find a link on our website, along with more information about the church behind this ministry, Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you. Come visit us. You'll find service times and more information about Cornerstone Chapel at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Is there anything happening in your life right now that we could be praying for? We'd be honored to do that for you. Or is there anything God's doing that deserves some rejoicing? Please let us know. We love that we can interact with our listeners. So send us a quick email and we'll get back to you soon. Prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. With that, our time with you has come to an end for today. Put a marker where we left off in this final book of the Bible and make plans to join Pastor Gary next time for more right here on Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know, still you know you're not alone. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.